Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Going into this passage, uh, before we go into it, um, I think a lot of us feel defeated at times. Most people have some sort of feeling defeat in their life from time to time. Uh, I was thinking about this this morning. There was a team back in 1988. I don't know why I remember stuff from sports all the way back to 1988, like when I was seven years old, but I remember everything about sports. If the Bible was all about sports, I'd probably know the thing by heart, you guys. Um, but I just remember sports. Stuff. And so in 1988, Baltimore, the Baltimore Orioles started off their season 0-21. That's not good. Um, they got 162 games during the year, and they, they start off the first 21 of them. They couldn't win. And I think about that like, you know, you get 10 losses in a row. That's not feeling good. You get to like 15 losses in a row. I just imagine the amount of defeat that that team felt in the clubhouse beforehand. The guys are looking around at other guys, and they're like, man, you are awful at this game. You know, because it's never about you. It's about the other guys. They're so bad. As a basketball coach, I, I coached girls basketball for eight years, and and the first two years I was coaching this high school girls team, we won five games each year, five and 15. And I'm telling you, it was, it was a, I am a competitive human being. And it was a very defeating feeling, feeling like, we're going to lose to this team by 40 points. <laughs> I don't want to step foot out there, but I have to lead them. And so it was never very fun. As a kid, I was a slow reader. In fact, I'd even say I feel like a slow reader still to this day. I, I can comprehend stuff fairly well. I can retain stuff fairly well, but I'm just slow at reading. And so when you're a kid and they've got the, the book clubs that they do in the summer and stuff, like for one thing, why do you read in the summer, guys? Come on. But 100 books? Uh, no. Like I was defeated before even starting. I, was just, I wasn't going to do that. Um, so that feeling of defeat, it's, it's not a fun feeling, and we've had that before. You know, and I got to the ACT, and there's a reading part on the ACT, and I'm like, I should just answer everything C, because I ain't going to get through this very quickly. Um, that defeating feeling, it's, it's not good. And a lot of us, we felt that in our finances, probably more than anywhere else. Uh, this year, I was, I was not smart, and I waited on both of my cars until, like, the tread was nothing. <laughs> And so I had to ch change both of my tires this, like, in, in the last month. And that's $1,500 that I hated spending every dime of it. Um, but you got to do it. And, and we, we do this with finances, and we, we have something come up, and we're like, oh, well, I got that thing taken care of. But we know it's like, oh, everything comes in threes. And so I got this taken care of, and now the water, the water heater went out. Water heaters. They cost money, you guys. It stinks. But all this stuff costs money, and then you start to feel defeated. Like, I'm just never, I'm never going to get to where I feel like I'm, I'm okay and I'm comfortable. We don't like that feeling of this, this kind of snowball that just starts, starts rolling on us, and we can't, we can't get to a place where we feel victorious over certain things in life. Um, but I think us as Christians, too oftentimes, we live feeling defeated. Now, i got to be honest, there's times where I get frustrated because I'm like, maybe, I hope that church feels encouraging. Because here's the thing, we talk about the, the, the struggles of life, the difficulties of life a, a lot. Because here's the thing, we feel that probably more than anything else. But there is a sense of joy in serving Jesus that I can't even describe it. Like, 
even in the worst of times, it's still there's this beauty and there's this joy. And so as we talk about def- the, the defeat that we feel in life, I hope, I hope that you walk away from church understanding the incredible joy that we can have even in that place. Um, but I think that this passage that we're going to read today, it's, it's Colossians 2, 8 through 23. Um, total honesty here, the passage is just too long with a lot of really good stuff in it that I can't do the whole passage in a sermon. And so we're going to do verses 8 through 14 today. Go and read verses 15 through 23, because I believe the whole Bible is important, but I'm not getting to it today, okay, guys? Uh, But verses 8 through 14, what I love about this is it's like Christianity 101 on why you should feel victorious, why you are victorious. It's not about feeling victorious, it's that you are actually victorious. And this passage is is 100% showing us why we're victorious. You know, and I, I think sometimes, I think to myself, we should have, because we, we struggle with being pessimistic and, and getting down and, and feeling defeated. We should have some, some little friend walk with us all the time when we're getting pessimistic. And they can just pull on us and be like, hey, life is good. Because little people like me, we're happy people and we encourage all the time, right? We should all have one, one of us around. Um, that's a total joke. I'm not that happy all the time. But sometimes, um, again, I, I, I feel like we in the church, we should, we should understand why we can have joy. Yes, life is full of, of difficulties, but there's so much beauty. And so that's what we're going to look at today. There's a, there's a way to experience victory, a kind of victory that I think is undefeated. The question is, how do I get that kind of victory? That's what, again, that's what this passage is going to show. And, and a little hint here. I think it's, it's something that most of us have already got or we've at least got access to. Um, let's look at Colossians 2, starting in verse 18. It says, this is Paul writing to this church in Coloss. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you've been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in your uncircumcision of your flesh— God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Question for you. Have you ever bought into a lie? A lie that, man, it just sounded so good, and you bought into it hook, line, and sinker. Most every one of us has bought into some. If, if you've ever, I said it first, if you've ever bought into a politician, you probably fell for the lie, okay? That's just part of the truth. Um, I think about kids. Little kids getting in fights. It amazes me because you'll go to those kids and they're both just, they're, they're wailing on each other, they're yelling at each other, whatever. And you can pull them both aside and you get two different stories. You get one kid, he's like, Bobby said a bad name and called me a bad name. And so then I, I went running for you to find you. And he stopped me. And I, it's just bad. And like, oh, that's, that, seems, that seems rough, man. And then you go over to, John, the other, to Bobby. And Bobby's like, well, Johnny, 
Johnny came over and he hit me in the face, and so I called him a bad name. And then he went and ran away. And while he's running away, he was saying, I, I, hope to th- I hope death finds you. And then he went and found you. And you're like, yeah, that's a different story than I just heard. That's a way different story. It's a funny how, how little kids, I think, I think little kids who get in trouble a lot, they should become lawyers. Because they can get people to believe anything. They're so good at telling lies at this point. Uh, and enemies will do that. Enemies will tell stuff to get you to believe something that's not true. And the truth is, is that we have an enemy. And it sounds weird. It sounds crazy to people. A lot of people, can, they, they, can, they can buy into spiritual light, which is Jesus. But they don't buy into the spiritual darkness, which is Satan. I'm going to tell you what. They're both in the Bible. There's a spiritual light. There's a spiritual darkness. And I believe that Satan wants to tell us stuff that's not true all the time. The enemy wants to steal your freedom. Verse 8, I want to read it again. It says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. See, the enemy wants to make you a captive to himself. How does he do that? He does it by telling us stuff that's just not true. Enemy wants to steal your freedom, and he's going to do that by telling you stuff that's wrong. He's going to do it a lot. He tells you a different story than the, than the story that God is, t- is saying. And the Bible's really clear that, that Satan, he is the author of lies. And, and it's even put more perfectly in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. It says, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Can I just say that that, of all the verses in the Bible, that might terrify me the most. That Satan is so good at telling you and me lies that when we hear it, we actually go, that makes sense. It's like the kid who tells you why they beat up the other kid and you're like, well, that seems like they had it coming. No, they didn't. The kid's just really good at lying to you. Satan has a way of taking our freedom and making us captive to him and getting us to believe a completely different story than the one that God tells this verse talks about how he makes us captive through human tradition, through hollow philosophy that depends on human tradition. Do you believe that? Here's, here's a question for you. Have you ever believed that if you said a prayer in just the right way, that God was going to answer it or that you were going to be okay? Have you ever thought, man, I, should, I really should get to church. Um, just ask him, then God's going to be okay with where I'm at. Have you ever been in that spot where, uh, maybe I was never a Catholic, maybe you grew up in Catholicism, and, well, as long as I say enough Hail Marys, or, oh, wait, I didn't say enough Hail Marys, so I'm not okay. We believe in human tradition. We believe in rituals. That is something that we as humans do. I've said this, I think, before, but there was one thing that I did as a little kid. It's, I'm telling you, it's crazy. I know it already, but hear me out. I would look in the mirror after brushing my teeth, if I brush my teeth at night, I mean, let's be real. Uh, but after brushing my teeth at night, I'd look in the mirror, and I would give myself the best smile I could. That's why I have such a good smile today, guys. Uh, I would look in the mirror until I gave myself, like, the perfect smile, and then I would shut the light off and walk out. Why? Because I thought I would have nightmares if I didn't smile really great into the mirror, and, I, and like, I had, like, a straight face. That's twisted, Right? It's messed up. It's human rituals. It's human traditions that we believe stupid things. We believe that, uh, you know, sometimes the ritual is, as long as I take my spouse out on a date, it doesn't matter how I've treated him the rest of the week. That one hit a little harder. I'm sorry. Um, 
Same stuff with church. As long as I go to church, it doesn't really matter. No, it's not about... Satan wants to get us to believe that as long as we're doing all the right rituals, that's why we are a, we're a religious humanity. Because as long as we do the religion right, we feel like God's going to be okay with me. No, it's not about that. It's never been about that. But Satan, Satan gives us lies so that we go after God in a way that's actually not the way that God wants us to go after him. And so what Paul, Paul is doing in this letter now is he's, he's saying, yes, Satan, Satan wants to take away your freedom. Let me show you how your freedom has been won. Jesus has won your freedom. That is, that is the main thing that he's trying to get now in, in the rest of this part of this passage that we're reading. Of all the ways that, that Satan will take away our freedom, I think the greatest of these ways is he will try to get you to feel as though you are empty or incomplete. Emptiness, incompleteness. It's, I'm telling you what, I think it is the, it's, it's the thing right now in our culture that is killing us. People feeling like, like they're nothing. People making up ideas about who they are so that they seem special in some kind of way. Well, guess what? The more things that we make up, the crazier it is that we have to make up about ourselves so we seem special now. But there is... There is no reason for us to not see that we are full. 2 Corinthians 2, 9 through 10 says this, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you've been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Now, did you honestly hear that one little part and take it to heart? It said, In Christ you have been brought to fullness. In Christ you've been brought to fullness. There are plenty of ways, I think, that Jesus wins our freedom. And, and for some of us, this might be the one that, man, this is, this is what you need to hear right now. Jesus brings you freedom by making you full. Make, he makes you full. Now, doesn't, that doesn't mean perfect. Understand, I'm not saying that Jesus makes you perfect. But you are not incomplete in any way. What Jesus did on the cross for us, it brought us fullness. Now, what does fullness mean? It means a fullness in our acceptance by God. That we are fully, 100%, there's no questions about it, we are fully accepted by God. Now, I may not live perfectly yet. And so there may be, there may be ways that God is growing me in the living out of fullness, but I am full in who Christ has made me to be. But we all struggle, we all struggle with this idea. We struggle to feel full. One of the areas that I struggle to feel full is in righteousness. What is righteousness? It's being considered morally right by God. I am a perfectionist at heart. Things should be perfect. You should see my lawn in the summer. It's awesome. I can't wait for it again. There's, I mean, there's weeds and stuff, but I cut it short enough where it all looks like grass, at least. Um, but I'm a perfectionist, and one of those areas I'm a perfectionist is I want to be morally right. I want to be righteous. And I'll be honest, I've, I've said this before, but there's times where I'll preach on a Sunday morning. I'll go home and something in my gut just doesn't feel right. And, I'm, and I know it's the enemy trying to say some things like, man, you said something obviously today that somebody's going to go away and have the wrong thoughts about God. Like, it, it gets at my righteousness. That I, and I, I will say this, those of you who are second service people, because you're all here in second service, there was about a time, a month or two ago, where I was putting two words together you already know where I'm going with this. I was putting two words together, and I, I left out one sound in one of those words, and it came together as one bad word. 
and I said it right during service. Um, and I, so I walked away from that one feeling pretty unrighteous. Uh, but here's the thing. There are, there are things that I do that I shouldn't feel unrighteous about. And then there are things that I do do that I should feel, I should feel bad about. This, we struggle to feel full. I struggle to feel righteous. But I love what Paul talks about in Philippians 3. He says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, who's, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, listen to this, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. You see, God is both growing us in righteousness and he has 100% said we are righteous. Not because of what I have done, but because of the faith that I have put in Jesus who is himself righteous and gives me that righteousness. And so that's a perfect example of our fullness I am not completely righteous on my own, but Jesus makes me fully righteous. I am full in that, yes, I'm not, I'm not perfect, but with Christ, I am perfect. I am perfection. He sees me, God sees me as the perfection of Christ. You are as full as you're ever going to be. I want you to understand, you are as full right now as you are ever going to be. Yes, you can grow, but you are 100% fully accepted as you are right now. So we're moving on to, to verse 11. Uh, Colossians 2.11 says this, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Some of you were listening to that earlier on and you're like, how is he going to attack that verse? Because that's weird. He's talking about circumcision. I get it. Super weird, you guys. The, the Jews, throughout their history, would, yes, they would cut a part of a male's body as circumcision. But it did two things. I want you to understand this is not a graphic thing, what Paul's talking about. He's talking about spiritual circumcision. But what was circumcision about? It was about cutting off that which was unhealthy. It was about being sanitary, making something healthy. But it was also about identifying oneself as a participant in God's covenant. That's what circumcision of the body was about. To identify the Jewish people as God's people, part of that covenant. And this spiritual circumcision, it's the same thing. God does a spiritual circumcision on us, which is cutting off things in our, in our sinful nature that are not meant to be there. But likewise, it's also him putting a stamp on us as, as saying, you are a part of this, you're a participant in God's covenant of love. So you both are, you've got this, this stuff cut away from you, from your spiritual, from your, from your sinful nature, but you also now are, I claim you as mine. You're my own. And so Paul's saying that we have this spiritual circumcision that takes place. Here's the thing, uh, the freedom that Jesus gives us. Jesus brings you freedom by cutting out what doesn't belong. I love that Jesus does this. Cuts out what doesn't belong. Don't get me wrong, this is not an immediate thing. Some of you are like, man, I've been a Christian for a long time and I still got stuff that I don't want there. <laughs> I get it. Me too. Have you had a conversation with me? <laughs> I mean, so let's be real. All right? There are things in us that, that we don't want there, but it, it isn't necessarily immediate that God cuts it all out. But it, it is full. In its own paradoxical way, God is fully cutting out a from our sinful nature, what he wants cut out. 
Here's a question I'd like you to consider for a minute, though. What has God cut out of your life that you're still trying to hold on to? What is something that God has cut out of your life that you are trying desperately to hold on to? The spiritual circumcision that Paul refers to, it's, it's the putting off of one's sinful nature. We have been made entirely new, new beings. The Bible says that the old has gone, the new has come. And so we don't have to live in that sinful nature that we've once lived in in the past. We are free not to live in that place. But we are desperately trying to hold on to the things from the past that we enjoyed in some way and we want to take it with us. I was listening to a story. This is a messed up story, I'm going to be honest with you. But I was listening to a story this week about a woman who, um, she was a married woman and she had been having an affair for years. And her, her husband was a cop and so he had some investigative skills. And so he'd kind of been investigating for a while. Finally, he, he had the evidence to prove that, yes, she was having an affair. So she comes home one night, and he says to her, We're done. this is done. Ain't happening anymore. She goes and she sleeps in the, uh, in the guest room that night. And while she's laying awake at night, she decides then and there, I want my marriage more than I want this other relationship. So she walks over to her room, she opens the door, she goes and stands by the bed in front of her, her husband, and she pulls out two things. She, she pulls out a burner phone and a pager that she'd been using to communicate with her boyfriend. Everything seemed to be going good. They were, they were getting along. Uh, they were going through a, a really good stretch of reconnecting with each other. They were going to renew their vows together. Except there was one thing that she hadn't given up. It was a second pager. Second pager to the, to the man that she'd been having this affair with. So obviously what, what happened? She got drawn back into it. I don't even want to tell you how bad it ended up for this couple. It was really bad. You know, and, and we hold on to things that we know God is trying to cut out of our lives. And sometimes we, we know God's trying to cut out of our lives and we, we just kind of say, no. I'm going to be honest about something. When I was a high schooler, um, I had a, a subscription to Sports Illustrated magazine. Parents, don't, don't, don't let your kids have that, all right? There's a thing called a swimsuit issue. And somehow I got to the mailbox before my parents did. Now, I'll be honest. I probably took a few looks at it, but I knew it was wrong. I, I didn't want, but I put it under my bed. I didn't look at it. Maybe once in a while I looked at it, and I, but I knew it was wrong. I, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to be a little bit honest here, okay? Last service I said I never looked at it, and I'm like, that's not probably totally honest. But I kept it under my bed, knowing it was wrong to have it there, knowing full well. Um, but always just wanting it there just in case I wanted to look at it. And I'm telling you, I think that's a really good representation of our lives. Jesus cuts things out. We, he gives us every opportunity to cut those things out. And it's like, man, I just want to pull, pull on it and, and, and keep it just a little bit. It's not going to hurt if I, if I give into it. But It does. Real freedom is found in the new life that we have in Jesus. He has cut things out to give you new life. Let's let him give us that new life. Going to verse 13 and 14, it says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having concealed the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Man, I love that last line, nailing it to the cross. That's... When I began today, we were talking about Christians living in a, in a place of defeatedness. And I think a lot of times what that defeat 
leads us to is it leads us to a feeling of shame. Shame is something that we battle with. And I think that shame and guilt are two different things. I think that guilt is, is more so you do something wrong and you feel bad about that thing. Shame is on a whole nother level where it's, I look at my life as a whole and all of it seems messed up. And it seems like I can't, I can't love myself because of all of it and I don't know how anybody else ever would. And the, the crazy thing about it is we don't actually feel full then unless we are being put in this place of feeling this shame and realizing that we're bad people. If I can feel that shame and I can feel, have bad things come my way, that's what's going to make me full because that's what I deserve. I deserve the worst. And I'm telling you, that is incredibly messed up. That is living out in our minds a sort of death. Paul says right in this passage that we have been made alive in Christ. You are not spiritually dead. When you feel like you are, that is one of the lies that Satan tries to throw at us all the time. You are not spiritually dead. You are not living in, in the shame of whatever that past is. We are new. And so instead of that truth, that, that, that lie that we're hearing, hear the truth about this freedom. Jesus brings you freedom by washing your past and leaving you with absolutely zero condemnation. Absolutely zero condemnation. See, maybe your problem isn't that you're trying to hold on to sins of the past. And you're trying to keep them there so that you can engage. Maybe what the problem is, the real issue, is that you feel your past is so bad that you never can be right. Um, I want you to answer this question right now. Do you feel total defeat over your past so much that it hinders your present? Or do you speak God's power and grace over your past so much that it opens you up to a new and exciting future, one that's free from shame and self, self-loathing. I'm telling you, I think that the epidemic of our culture right now is an, it's an epidemic of self-loathing. People hate themselves. And they're doing whatever they can to, to put out to the world this image that I'm, I'm something better than what inside I feel like I really am. We put, stuff on, we put a, a life of ourselves on social media that's just they're not real. We, we, de- we describe ourselves with certain things, certain terminology that it, it's just to try to make us feel special in some other way when the fact of the matter is the only reason we feel like we have to do that is because we're, we're bleeding lies that Satan's telling us. When Christ gives us complete fullness as we are right now. Jesus canceled the charge of our spiritually binding indebtedness. That passage said that it was our legal indebtedness that Jesus canceled that charge which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Without Jesus, I know there's a lot of shame to go around, but I think there's, there's real value in, sometimes in getting mental pictures in our minds. And one of those mental pictures I think this morning that we should get in our mind is the image of whatever our shame was. Maybe, you, maybe you, you've got that, this word of whatever the shame is in your life. And mentally allow yourself to envision that that, that that thing that you have shame about, that it has been put up on the cross of Jesus, and it has been nailed there on the cross. And things that get nailed to the cross are meant to stay there. They're meant to stay there for good. They're not meant to come down. You know, I was talking to my, one of my daughters a, a little while back, and she was just feeling guilty about some stuff. And I said, Honey, the last thing that God wants for you is to feel shame and guilt right now. When we struggle with that, when we, when we are battling that feeling, 
we're allowing ourselves to hear the voice of Satan rather than the voice of God. I'm telling you, if you struggle with a sense of shame, please hear this. That is not God putting that shame on you. It is not God putting shame on you. I think the truth is we're the only ones that can put shame on ourselves. Another person puts shame on us. That's another version of Satan trying to get in at us. It's okay to say, you know what? That's not what truth is. Here's what truth actually is. Here's what Jesus says about me. Here's what Jesus thinks about me. You are legally free, Paul says, from the shame of the past. It's as though that you were given prison time. You served your time, and now you get to walk out completely free with nothing held against you. But the best news about it is you didn't actually have to go to prison for it. You didn't have to serve time for it. Jesus did. He served that time so that you could be shame-free. So we're getting close to, to being done here, but I want to read a, a, a quick uh, excerpt from a pastor named Dane Ortland in a book that I, I have, there's so much stuff in this book that is so powerful. I want to read this to you. He says, God's forgiving, redeeming, restoring touch reaches down into the darkest crevices of our souls, those places where we are most ashamed, most defeated. More than this, those crevices of sin are themselves the places where Christ loves us the most. Some of us, we've got stuff in our past that it's the shame that we always come back to. And it's the thing that we feel like we've got to hide more than anything else. And I'm telling you, Jesus, Jesus is completely exposed to it and it's the, that very place that he wants to love you the most. We think that the things that are, are uh, in our past that are shameful, it's the, past, the, the stuff that we both most got to overcome so Jesus can love us. And I think Jesus is saying, no, that's actually, that, that thing that you're struggling with, that's why I came for you. That's why I... I died on a cross for you. It is the biggest reason why I choose to love you. So you can get through it. You can get over it. You've been given freedom in Jesus, but the thing is, is we've got to grab a hold of it. It's one thing to hear that we've got all this freedom, but the bottom line is you and I, we have to grab a hold of that freedom. I have to every day find a way to grab a hold of this new life that Christ has given to me to find and experience Jesus in new and beautiful ways. Because if I don't experience Jesus in that way, what's going to happen is Satan's going to tell me lies, and those lies are going to sound like the truth if I don't have the truth of Jesus constantly going into my heart. It takes more than just Sunday morning, guys. What, what is your prayer life looking like? Where are you getting God's word coming into your heart and into your mind so that, so that you can hear Jesus and the truth of what he's saying about you more than anything else? Jesus has made you full. You don't lack anything. Jesus has cut things out of your sinful nature. You don't have to hold on to those things. You can actually experience freedom and forgiveness. And some of you, you've got stuff and you're like, I, I'm not even trying to hold on to it, but it's like it's just stuck to me like it's Velcro. I'm telling you, Jesus makes us new and he can bring victory. I'm, I'm telling you he can. We got to give it over to him and grab a hold of that freedom. Jesus has made you alive. You, you may feel spiritually dead, but your feelings lie to you a lot. You are not spiritually dead. It's time to experience this gift of life that God has given to us in Jesus. Jesus says that you do not have any shame any longer. The guilt that you feel, the shame that you feel, it's not the voice of God. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to actually pray over people who are struggling in that place of feeling defeated. But I also want to ask those of you who you're not feeling defeated this morning. Maybe, maybe you felt defeated in the past. And this morning, feeling okay. 
I want to ask you to pray with me. Pray for the people in this room who, who have that sense of defeat. Because every single one of us are going to go through defeat from time to time. If there's anything that life is, it's a, it's a roller coaster. You got good times, you got bad times. And we need each other. We, we need to be people when we're in a good place particularly. How are we reaching out to people who are struggling in darkness, who are struggling in defeat? And so this morning, let's pray for the people around us. Uh, this week, when, when you see people that you can tell that there's just a darkness kind of hovering over them, how are you going to reach out and shine the light of Jesus for them? Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.